0: Hi, this is Jim from Safety Wars. Before we start the program, I want to make sure everyone understands that we often talk about OSHA and EPA citations, along with some other regulatory actions from other agencies, legal cases, and criminal activity. Everyone is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Proposed fines are exactly that, and they are often litigated, reduced, or vacated. We use available public records. News accounts and press releases. We cannot warranty or guarantee the details of any of the stories we share since we are not directly involved with these stories, at least not most of the time. Enjoy the show. This, this, This show is brought to you by Safety FM. Hi everybody, good evening, good morning, whatever time it is, where you are at. You know who I am, Jim Pulsal with Safety Wars. We're broadcasting from the border of Liberty and Prosperity and the highway to the north. Hope everybody's doing well tonight. I can never get this camera right. Ay, ay, ay. We're gonna be addressing that as we go along here, not while we're on the air. Had a very busy day today. We had a client call me up with an emergency. We're going to be doing some excavation safety training tomorrow. If you need training done, you're in the Metro New York area, we're your people. If you're not in the metro New York area, we will come to your location. Or we can do a lot of training via Zoom. 845-269-5772. Here on Safety FM, especially on anything Jay Allen uh, is involved with. His two shows and a lot of the other places. They, what's one of the things? Yes, you are one of the things that we try to do is talk about suicide. Very serious subject. So we're going to kick off a, uh, tonight's show with my response to a news article by a gentleman named David Reibel. Uh This is a New Jersey-based web based website, New Jersey Spotline News. Uh the title is real simple. Op-ed. This is an op-ed. Construction industry must and this was making its way around all New Jersey people today on LinkedIn. Op-ed. Construction industry must prioritize mental health and suicide prevention. What anno- what piqued my interest is well, one, it's New Jersey. And you know, this is a problem that faces everybody here. Uh, If you have employees and everything, uh, no, there's always a debate. What do we do? What don't we do with them? How involved do we get in their life? their, Their personal struggles, things of that nature. And he asks why. Why? No, he tries to answer that. And he has a pretty good article. But being a safety professional and being involved in the construction industry basically since I'm 16 years old, uh, as and environmental cleanups and you know everything else, else we do here, I think that it doesn't go far enough, and it's you're working on the model that an employee has a problem that's their own problem, and if they're that's uh, and it's them. The question is this, what could we do about this? Is there behavior that we're doing as an industry, as an, it doesn't matter, construction, it could be any industry out there, to contribute to our workplaces' mental health, our workers' mental health, our employees, consultants, whatever we have, their mental health. So why is this an issue in construction? Every September there is a, Suicide in construction uh, uh, week, sort of like when we have the fall protection week, from uh, which is first week of next month. And so why is this an issue? Suicide in this industry, meaning construction, is 3.5 higher than all the other industries. So he asks why. He quotes the ASSP. And I'm a little bit disappointed, I'm going to be honest with you, in this statement, that from the ASSP. The stoic and self-reliant characteristics of individuals, and this is a quote, who work in the construction industry. right? Stoic and self-reliant? Maybe. Stoic? <laughs> Should come out to my job, see how stoic the people are. He outlines a whole bunch of other stuff, like life... Uh, like long and strenuous hours, sleep patterns, being impacted. And stuff. It's almost like we're being dumping this all onto the worker. And, you know, they, okay, yeah, they're focusing on the worker. What you could do as a worker to prevent this, to help yourself. And it, being a hop practitioner here, at least I'd like to pride myself a little bit on that. I'm still learning. I'm on a hop journey like most people are. Uh, I don't, I'm not satisfied with this. While one CDC article mentions low job satisfaction, this is me uh, saying this. I wrote this today. high perceived job stress and unrealistic job goals or expectations, a perceived lack of control over the work, as well as of physical hazards. All that may be true, right? And maybe in the foundation of the problems. But believe me, all this stuff starts way, way. Before this, you got to look at, if you have an organization, how is my organization contributing to this? Are they contributing to this? What are we going to do about it? So what's construction? That's kind of hard to define and limit to one area. So you have maritime construction, high-rise construction, commercial, residential, many, many different types of construction. And all of them start, I think where the start of this happens is in the bidding process. I know that there's stuff before that that even happens. And the company setups, the company mission, business models, things of that nature. But let's start with the bidding process. So when I do a deep dive into an accident, it could be a fatality, catastrophic thing, or sometimes a client says, you know what? Do a real deep dive in here, because we have what is called the one-pager reports, which is our, the OSHA 301 reports, and there's one page, and there's like 16 different sections in there, whatever it is, and people handwrite them, hand that in OSHA, and look at us, we have an accident investigation. We all know, as a safety professional, there's a hell of a lot more that goes into that, if you want to go in, and I always ask, well, how deep do you want me to go? And often now, since I got the credentials, CSP, they're willing to open up a little bit more. They're willing to go in and say, well, how deep do you, go, go as deep as you can because we know we have uh, fundamental problems and I'm actually able to, you'll notice this, once you're credentialed, you're able to deal with people on a different level because all of a sudden you went from a blowhard, a safety blowhard into a credentialed person. That's not my perception. that's the perception of a lot of companies out there. Why? Because look at some of the quality of the safety people we have out there. i right? a tra- I've always said this, this is a transient position for a lot of people. There are safety professionals because they're looking to get their foot into the door with another in-, in another industry in another company. sometimes big companies like oil companies. They'll put people into a safety position for three years and then promote them up uh, up the line. this way they figure feel that they have an idea of how to work safely and how to communicate safety uh, safely and all this other stuff and therefore now they technically have a safety professional in the uh, in the uh, uh, business in the management and we all know that not, may not necessarily be true. So the bidding process here that's something out of the workers scope. That's something we're out of the workers' influence, out of their lane, but not out of management's lane. So here are some of the things that you have to look at that might impact psychological health and suicide right down the line when you're in the bidding process. what is the scope of work understood? Do you know what you're doing here? What is the scope of work? Often I get on jobs and the bid that people put in is for a different scope of work than what's in the contract, right? Is the timeline for the job realistic? Is everybody being realistic with our timeline here? And does that also include safety? You're going to say, well, Jim, it says in the contract, you're, uh, you know, you have to comply with OSHA regulations, EPA regulations, and all the local stuff. Right. Well, it should be obvious that it has to be safe. No, it, it's not. It all comes down to how the cl- main client, the general contractor, or whoever enforces safety. A lot of general contractors, ex- in one ear and out the other, yeah, yeah, Jim, we do safety, and we work safe. Yeah, 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 uh, blah, blah, blah. Okay, well, uh, guys out there not wearing fall protection, what are uh, you going to do about it? Ah, uh, you don't need to wear fall protection. I've actually been on jobs where they said, well, Jim, we weren't planning on putting anybody in harnesses. And I said, well, you're like way above the six-foot limit here. Are you going to put up guardrails? No, we weren't planning on doing that. Fall restraint? No, not doing that. Covering holes? No, no, we ain't doing that either. So they don't have any intention of, you know, okay, the safety professional is hired just to be there, to occupy the chair to eat donuts and drink coffee, as I used to say. So, you know, were they planning on doing, uh, having a safety program? This is what happens here in the uh, construction industry. You think that a uh, residential construction company is going to have a uh, full-blown safety program? Probably not. Don't hold your breath, people. Does the company have the resources, including the capital, to do the job? We're not talking safety-related work, any of the work. Do they have the right tools, the right equipment, anything like that? That's important because if they don't have the capital to do the job, that uh, that inserts stress into every situation. That's why you're rushed. You don't have the right resources. You may not have... Another one, no, the right manpower for the job. Are you asking three people to do a five-person job? Yeah, that adds to stress. Adds to a hell of a lot of stress. Are they actually making a pro are they trained the manpower too, right? That's another one. Are they making a profit? Guess what? You did the job wrong. You're not getting a profit. You're, that adds a lot of stress. Now you're rushed, using doing some standard things, skipping on quality control, forgetting all of this other stuff. So the last item, you're making a profit. That tends to be the most important for most industries. You have to make a profit if you're in business, if you're a company. So how do they make money? Right, The easiest way, and I'm going to assume it's a hard money job, meaning lump sum. Right. Easiest way of earning a profit, no do overs and ending the job early. You end the job early, all that overhead that you would normally have to pay is now profit. But there are other ways, right? How do they get by? Don't they don't do the job properly, just enough to get by and hoping to get one over on the quality control people skipping steps that usually gets found out a long time later is when people skip, skip steps well, I' talk about a tongue twister there right using the wrong tools for the job that could be from heavy machinery well hey we're gonna use uh, a Bobcat uh, excavator small one also known as a skid steer In some parts of the country, rather than a backhoe, rather than a larger piece of equipment, and maybe hey, rather than a crane, we're going to use a forklift with a lull class seven forklift. You have all different types of things going in there. Nepotism again, and it forces people to make do and to jury rig stuff. Nepotism. What do they do? They show favoritism. They hire friend, family, and friends only. No matter what the qualifications or ability, they put them in a management role. What happens? Everything gets fouled up and you get to you get to blame. That's exactly what it is. It puts all the stress on the workforce. Hiring people to manage a job, and this is related to it, but not necessarily. They're not qualified bully. They're not professionally trained managers. They may be good foremen, and if they're foremen, they might have been a good laborer, and they might be not be a good foreman. We had this situation out in Logan, Ohio on a project where somebody was on their last hoorah. This person was a tradesman and a foreman for many years. And they wanted him to retire at a higher rate. So they said, We're going to do you a favor. You're going to be like the lead foreman, making more money. You'll be good for your retirement. This is like a five month job. We got to the end of the job. We have a nice retirement party for you and everything else. What was his management style? Bullying, yelling, screaming. Wasn't a professionally trained manager. Often, what happens is people are not, uh, uh, they want to be a foreman. They get made a foreman because they're a good laborer. They're a good carpenter. So they put them in charge. What do you think happened with this guy? He was a psychopath, by the way. He ended up getting beaten up three weeks before retirement. He spent the first two months of retirement in a wheelchair. Never made a full recovery. He was an older gentleman. A general lack of empathy. That's, you know, no. That's what, how you in, uh, how you uh, insert stress. Now you're going to say, I don't have to get to know my employees. You want to be a leader? What you want to do is have the employees do something because you asked them to do it one time or they know how to do it they know what they're doing you want to inspire them that includes and we have a leadership program that includes going out there and getting to know people having a little bit of empathy knowing what's going on in their life if you're a manager and you have empathy Maybe you can recognize, hey, what what are some of the things with a suicide type of thing? The companies may insert some type of incentive to get things done, for lack of a better word, substandard. Hey, they're going quick. They're doing this. No, the big thing rushing, right? Every one of the accident investigations I've ever been on has been, they've been involved in rushing uh, for everything, literally rushing for, you know, for everything. So my next question is this, how do safety requirements add to this stress on everything? You're going to say, well, what what do you mean? We're out uh, trying to be safe. We're doing safety things. Oh, okay, great. That's wonderful. You're doing safety things. But do you put stress in this situation? Do you make people's lives a living hell? Are you that safety dictator? No, the whole thing with that. So how do safety requirements add to stress? Several ways. One of the things is requiring written paper from workers That might have literacy issues. Safety professionals have to realize that literacy issues are uh, huge in the construction industry. Thirty percent of the construction industry is illiterate, meaning they cannot; they have no high school diploma, and. Most of them have some type of literacy issues. I don't want to say completely, that's a little bit harsh, but literacy overall. So now you're going to ask for paperwork, job hazard analysis, keeping track of a sign in sheet, all the stuff that we do as safety professionals that we have to have on record. Most construction sites don't have access control or computers to do stuff, everything's still done. Largely through apps, right, which is some of the modern form of paperwork. And the other one is through just paperwork, paper and pencil. Now we're able to photograph or scan it into our smartphone and send it on out. So where does this come to, this emphasis on paperwork? And you can say, well, Jim, uh, paperwork is important because... It proves that you've done something. So if you have an inspection and you have a problem, an inspector comes out there, did you do, do your inspection on that piece of equipment? Yeah, you say, yeah, I did my inspection. Okay, can you prove it? That's what the paperwork comes into. You need proof that something happened. Where does this come from? People have, people have PTSD because of paperwork. You're going to say, well, Jim, that's crazy. Oh, really? Let's consider this. Starts before kindergarten. Coloring books. A lot of kids pre-kindergarten color. Kids enjoy coloring. Oh, look, Mary, you did a nice, what a wonderful picture you drew. Yay. Look at that coloring. Yay. All right. No matter what it is, you're not going to tell a kid, wow, you you know, that's horrible. And then what happens? You go into kindergarten, first grade. You do an assignment. You get a nice sticker on there. And this progresses on and on and on. Did you ever consider that the people who are, like, highly educated are very good at paperwork? Attorneys, very good at pay- paperwork, more articulate, Right? English, this is why English majors have a tendency, in my experience, of being able to out-debate anybody because they're very articulate. They know the language. They know rhetoric. They know logic. They know reason with this. And they get so their whole life is based on paperwork. Is it any surprise then, with that in mind, is it any surprise that Paperwork is going to be the first solution to most safety problems. The most problems. Well, you 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 don't know how to do something. We're going to shame you, we're going to blame you, we're going to retrain you. Yeah, Everything else in life. Well, you have to go for this test. You have paperwork. Paperwork is in the, right, is in the bureaucracy. It's infused. Now you're asking people, who have these issues may have these issues again my experience people don't want to do these job hazard analysis or anything like that because they can't read or write well they sometimes they can't read or write at all so you end up having to work with them you got to try to you know identify these people help these people requiring training when the company has untrained workers so you go onto a job site with a general contractor. they're you're required to have certain training. Are your, do your people, are they trained in fall protection? Yes. Give us proof. They give them some kind of baloney letter or some kind of proof. They're not trained. Now you have someone doing auditing. All this auditing of these people. So what do you think happens? Any guess on what happens? They are not using fall protection equipment correctly, for example. They're not doing this correctly. They're not trained. Remember, training is not education. Training is a skill. And then what happens? It's stress. Oh, that safety guy always is bothering me because uh, he's telling me to put on safety glasses. Oh, and then this adds stress. I've actually had people follow me home because we had a glove 100% hand protection requirement which required gloves. Don't do a job without gloves. I don't agree with it, but this is what uh, the company's policy was. Requiring the PPE the company might not have was never figured into the project or may not fit. A worker requires gloves with sleeves up to here, right? So what do they do? They give them surgical gloves up to here improper equipment now you're adding more stress into this you don't have the right equipment and i hear all the time from oh well the employee according to the collective bargaining agreement uh we got an exception then through osha i don't know if that's true or not that the employee is responsible for bringing their own gloves well how about this do they know what kind of gloves to bring do, they, do you have any training with gloves We, by the way we do training on gloves too all this other stuff with that, now you're adding stress into the situation. They're working, well, with wrong PPE, it doesn't fit. You buy small gloves because they were on sale and when you need large or extra large. And what they don't tell you is this. What well, they don't fail to realize, a lot of them. Of a worker gets hurt, and again, that's the ultimate stress, a debilitating injury a worker gets hurt, guess what? You are still responsible under the worker's comp laws. You're the employer. It's your injury. Has to go on that OSHA 300 log. Anything like that. Here's another one. Management has zero commitment to safety. And therefore doesn't allocate any resources to it. And, again, if you're a safety professional, you've been there. And then they make you responsible for safety. You don't have the ability. You may not have the expertise, especially if you're uh, newer to the profession. You don't have the resources. You don't have the authority to hire or fire anyone. So explain to me how you're going to uh, be a leader there with a lot of these folks. You're not paying, you're not signing the paycheck. Who do you think they're going to listen to? You, who is not signing the paycheck, who's quote-unquote holding them up, or the person signing that paycheck, who's in, in charge of running that work, whether it's a foreman, a supervisor, owner, somebody. Hell, I was at a place already where the uh, secretary ran everything. Oh, yeah. Because that was the gatekeeper for everything. It was Everything went through the six. Secretary, she ran everything. You at she if she told the guys to put on safety glasses, guess what? They put them on. You tell them to do it, huh? They give you that New Jersey salute. You know, if you're from New Jersey, you know what it is. The company then dumps all this responsibility on you. Doesn't pay you well, especially at the beginning, and then you're sabotaged. How you sabotage? Well, they're not doing what it is, and then you're responsible for safety, but you have no authority. Your sabotage. Think that adds stress? Here's something directly that a safety professional does that adds stress into the situation: overly long safety meetings and safety training sessions that eat into the schedule. That's why I always put a time limit on safety meetings all the time safety training I put in a time limit right why especially with the safety meetings do you guys like to talk about the uh, safety meetings after uh after uh the meetings over you're gonna say well what what do you mean? What what does that mean? Work after well you give a safety meeting, let's say it's on hard hats. Right? We recently did a safety meeting on hard hats here. still got the hard hat. Hey, look at this one. Nineteen thirties era. Hard hat. Police. All right. Five minutes long. You're allocated five minutes. You don't say the meeting's over, those guys will keep talking to you, especially when it's on a uh, rainy day, cold day, snow. They don't want to go out there for some reason. They'll talk on and on and on. So what do you do? What do I do? I go, because then they say, well, safety in the meeting was 45 minutes long. After this happened a couple of times to me when I was younger, what I ended up doing was saying, okay. I got you got me from seven to seven oh five as the safety meeting or seven to seven ten, whatever it is, whatever you agree upon with management. Make sure that safety meeting is ten minutes long, and at the end of that safety meeting you say, time's up. You say safety meeting is over, and you get your stuff and walk out of the room. This way, they're still if they want to talk, they can talk, but it's not your fault. And that, because this recently happened to me. Well, the safety meeting took an hour. Well, guess what? I said the safety meeting is over. These people still want to talk. I'm outside. What do you want from me? And I said, you were in there with them, right? Requiring proper equipment of workers that don't have access to the equipment. Hey, you got to wear fall protection. Well, I don't have fall protection. Now what do you do? You added stress to their life. Acting like the expert. That's the other thing. Do you go out there and act like a safety expert? As a matter of fact, I admonish people that say, well, this guy is the safety expert. No, this guy, I'm not an expert. If someone comes up to you and self-identifies as a safety expert, be afraid. Be very afraid. Why is that? Chances are you're not the expert. The worker is the expert. So, what happens? If, again, more stress. Some workers have the opinion well, hey, this guy's 25 years old, 30 years old, right out of college. He's the expert. And here I'm doing this for 20 years. I'm not the expert. Some people may take that the wrong way. And the list goes on and on and on. Now, this is not to say that the worker is not, can't, can't help themselves, right? Worker can't help themselves. But let's look at the worker. Worker has got to speak up. Worker has got to have enough confidence to say something if they don't understand something. Anything like that. So look at the worker. You have conflicting instructions, right? That's one way. Put stress on them. Different ways of working from what the company expects, expectations are not, are uh, conflicting. They have to supply their own tools. They have no agency or no decision-making ability. This is what happened, I think, with a lot of the COVID-19 stuff out there. Telling people that they have to wear, quote-unquote, masks and not the respirators. This is an issue here, guys. take away their agency, people have a tendency of not being happy. Add stress, adds all different types of stuff. They have to supply their own tools. What if uh, you're a worker, new worker, you don't have any tools? That happens all the time. I was fortunate enough that I had tools when I was working in the construction industry when I was younger. Literacy issues. We talked about this. One NIH study uh, in 2017 by Julie A. Phillips, the title was Differences in Suicide Rates by Educational Attainment from tro- 2000 to 2014. It showed that people with a high school or lower education, right, and that was the maximum, have higher suicide rates. Now we have people, 30% in the uh, construction industry have no high school diploma or have a high school diploma or less. Could that have, be adding and contributing to the suicide rate? Language barriers? Often you, if you can have the same language, we, a lot goes into language, it's thinking. How do, Not only how people communicate, but how do they think? Drug and alcohol problems, criminal records, and all the other stuff that goes along with it. All that stuff goes in there. You're going to say, well, criminal records. A lot of pe- people are in prison in the construction industry for whatever reason. I don't know how have the numbers, but I seem to run into a lot of them. And when what, uh, what I thought over at NJCU, New Jersey City University, a lot of the people that we dealt with, were people who were trying to better themselves. They we got people out of re- rehab and some of the programs and the outreach programs for the university, out of prisons, things of that nature. And what happens? They end up going uh, uh, right again. All the adds to it. So you go to OSHA. And the website and similar, they have pretty good resources on everything, but they don't address the structural issues in the construction industry. How is the company ran? Right? They talk about suicide literacy and preventing suicide, talking to people, and all the other stuff that goes along with. But those are the easy issues. What about the hard issues? There's a lot of hard issues out there in the construction industry uh, that you need to address. How about talking to people and all the other stuff involved? But uh, you know, uh, how are we treating your workers? How are you treating them? My fear in all of this is that everything is a slogan, sloganeering in the sa- in the industry with suicide. Right. The Europeans have a much, uh, and I've worked with European companies, Uh, one in particular, they're shocked about the wellness programs. They have, uh, most European countries, they have wellness programs. They require wellness uh, type things, programs. Well, here it's often part of your health insurance. If you can have a good health insurance program, they have that type of thing because it's cheaper in the long run to have something like that paid by health insurance uh, when they pay it. Obviously, you don't have to pay it, but what if it, a failed suicide attempt? How much is that going to cost? Mental health, major mental health issues, how much is that going to cost to treat? All that stuff goes in there. Uh, leadership, right? Uh, no, Nobody wants to address this stuff. This is the important stuff. You want to have a healthy workforce psychologically, right? It's not, no, it's against the law to screen out people who have psychological issues, right? Except for certain things for employment, but leadership, right? But no, what do you do? Leadership. Part of leadership is to treat your employees and subordinates well and fairly. Right? Some might say that it's not the business of business to be involved in the mental health of its employees and their well-being. Okay, fair enough. We got it. But are you contributing to their negative mental states? If you are contributing to this, right, you're part of the problem. Where I would rather be is part of the solution. And here at Safety Wars, we always encourage people to be part of the solution. Don't be part of the problem. Don't make the problem worse. Anything like that. There are sources for suicide prevention out there. So if you or someone you know is contemplating suicide, call or text the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline at 988. You can visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention at www.suiteprevention.com. AFSP.org. And this is our opening monologue here, 38 minutes, something like that. Uh, for safety wars, this is Jim Pozel. We're going to go to commercial break here. And uh, I'll see you in a few minutes.
1: Professional safety community, communication, and planning are just a few keys to your program's success. The question many practitioners have is where do I start? Dr. Jay Allen, the creator of the Safety FM platform and host of the Rated-R Safety Show, has built a global foundation to help you along the way. Go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals, including Blaine Hoffman with the Safety Pro, Sam Goodman, with The Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with The Safety Consultant, Jim Pozel with Safety Wars, Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold, and many others. As individuals, we can do great things, but as a team, we become amazing. Dial into safetyfm.com today and surround yourself with a powerful force of knowledge and support.
0: Yes, you are the solution to unsafe workplaces and to suicide prevention. Be part of the solution here. Safety Wars is streaming now. SafetyFM.com OSHA recordables, catastrophic losses, environmental disasters. You want answers? So do I. This is Jim Posel. with Safety Wars. That's my daddy! Yes, that is your daddy Jessica. This came on uh, just uh, late this afternoon. one person killed multiple injured in New York City parking garage collapse I probably need to refresh this story. So here we have a portion of a four of the four-story and Street structure fell in leaving cars stacked on top of one another and rubble down to the uh, street level. A parking garage on Ann Street in Lower Manhattan collapsed on Tuesday afternoon, killing one person and injuring five others, officials said. Pictures and video from the scene at 37 Ann Street between Nassau and Williams Street show cars pancaked on uh, top of one another and dust rising from the wreckage. The collapse appeared to have sent rubble from the top deck down to the street level. Pardon me. One snippet of footage shot from the nearby rooftop showed a cloud of dust rising from below, and a distant voice shouted, "Get out! Get out! Get out!" A voice near the camera responded with a stunned, uh, single, stunned vulgarity. Oh yeah, this is uh, wow. I'm looking at the uh, yeah that that is a very apt description. They were pancaked uh, there with that. Let's say a prayer for everybody here on this site. I think I might have parked there one time. Southwest Airlines resumed after system outage sparked travel chaos and delays with 800, pounds, 800 planes grounded across the U.S. This was uh, over the holiday, Christmas holiday. They had 17,000 uh, flights canceled. I don't know how long it took them to fix that out. But uh, Todd Conklin has a very good show on that uh, that it go, explains the whole thing from around that time if you want to go check him out. Uh, right? The uh, pre-accident investigation. was requested a ground stoppage at around 10.30 a.m. on Tuesday while it worked fixing intermittent technology issues. As a result of the intermittent technology issues that we experienced, we should hopefully be resuming our operation as soon as possible. And uh, FAA, now they're all doing investigations with that. I don't know what's going on there. Neither do they. Uh, And this is all over the internet here. Uh, Northern, this looks like something out of a sci-fi movie here. Northern Lights enthusiasts got a surprise mix with the green bands of light dancing in the Alaska skies. A light baby blue spiral resembling a galaxy appeared amid the aurora for a few minutes. Picture, I, I don't know if this is a real picture or not. Yeah, it is a picture from Todd Salat. Uh, you could go and Google it. Right here, let's see what we got. Yeah, it, it looks weird, man. I wonder what it could be. Uh, spiral was formed when X, oh, here it is. The spiral was formed when excess fuel that had been released from a SpaceX rocket That launched from California about three hours earlier turned into ice, and then the water vapor reflected the sunlight in the upper atmosphere. Wow. Looks like something out of a sci fi movie. A silent crisis in men's health gets worse. This is from Yahoo Life. A silent crisis in men's health is shortening their lifespans of fathers, husbands, brothers, and sons. For years, uh, the conventional wisdom has been that a lack of sex-specific health research mainly hurts women and gender minorities. While those concerns are real, a closer look at longevity data tells a more complicated story. So men's, we all know men's lifespan is a lot uh, shorter than men. Uh, I'm sorry. Women's life expectancy is much longer than men's. And 2021, it was seven point seventy nine point one years, and men, 73.2 years, right? And uh, men are adva- advantaged in every aspect of our society, yet we have the worst health outcomes for most of the things. This longevity gap, I don't know. It could be a lot of things. I know the women are made differently than men and are made all for reproduction and protecting that baby. And that's probably has something to do with it. Uh, But no, what about the dumb things like accidents? Right, so men die by suicide four times more often than women, based on 2020 data from the CDC. Wow, another suicide story. The rate of suicide is highest in middle aged white men, but teen boys also face a high risk. Again, get help. Uh,. For instance, for years, the widely held belief in medical circles was that women used too many healthcare resources uh, compared to men. As a result, men were viewed as the standard for seeking healthcare, while women were often dismissed as hysterical or anxious when they sought healthcare. Right? We used to think women were over-utilizing healthcare and, and men were doing it correctly, said one doctor. What we realized was that women were doing it better, mostly for preventative care. Yeah, I'll attest that my wife is into uh, preventative care, like you wouldn't believe. Why is mortality increasing? Uh, probably having to do with lifestyle, is uh, what the articles all are saying. Here we have one, and there is an Adderall shortage in the United States. Here, uh, because a lot of the feedstock, uh, a lot of the feedstock is. Uh, for these equipment for this stuff is in China, right? So, uh, up to 10% of us teenage boys have an Adderall prescription. One of four us teens at some schools are abusing prescription stimulants such as Adderall, a government funded study say research found, and this is from the daily U K article by Caitlin Tilly. Uh, the research found that what experts described as a contagion effect, where the risk of illegal use was higher in places where lots of students had illegal had legal prescriptions. Children more likely to abuse the drugs were in the northeastern region of the US are white and have highly educated parents. Maybe we're asking too much of our kids. How's that? There was great variation across the sub- country. While up to a quarter of children in some schools were abusing the study drugs, more than 100 schools reported no abuse of the drug whatsoever. Use of Adderall soared during the pandemic after many regulations on drug prescriptions were lifted and online telehealth firms firms rose to promise, prominence, allowing easy access to it. One of the study's lead researchers said it's like a major wake-up call for the uh, for the abuse of Adderall. Now, one of the last Omni magazines, don't ask me how I remember this stuff, uh, from the early 2000s, had talked about this trend. You're under a lot of stress to produce, to be smart. You have the ability to help your child in school and to be uh, a, a big producer. My question is, are you going to do it or not? A lot of families say, yeah, go ahead, do it. I know families for whose uh, kids, and I know this because uh, when you do an axe investigation, one of the things that you ask is, are you on any drugs? What kind of medications are you on? They don't have to disclose it, but yet do you have to ask it? Or if you're willing to uh, disclose it, are you on medications? Oh, yeah, I'm on Adderall. And you'd be shocked the number of times I hear Adderall. Now, my question is this. I have a I'm going to Google it really quick. You know, if you get used to me here, sometimes I think of shit when we're doing this. And so, well, let's do, let's Google this, All right? Uh, so what kind of jobs, right? Can a job not hire you for Adderall? Under the with Disabilities Act, uh, employers may not discriminate against applicants or employees with disabilities. If your ADD meets the legal definition of a disability and you are taking medication, you can't be excluded from from consideration on uh, that basis. All right. Uh... Here's another question. Can I buy a firearm if I am on Adderall? Under federal law, as long as a drug, even Schedule II narcotics are fine are fine for a gun owner or buyer with a prescription. A medical marijuana does not prohibit you because it's a schedule it is still Schedule 1 a drug with no medical usage under federal law. Adderall is legal under federal law, so it's not a problem. Well, what do you know? Uh, Here is... So that's under federal law. I'm looking at one website here, and again, I'm not an attorney here. Don't take this as legal advice here. Here we have in uh, California, according to one website, can, how can possession of Adderall be a crime? Adderall is a type of amphetamine intended for the treatment of ADHD and ADD, as well as narcolepsy. It's similar to Ritalin and Daytrana, in that they are all stimulants designed to enhance a person's ability to focus on their tasks, such as work and school. Because of this, Adderall is commonly referred to as the competition drug. Unfortunately, this has led to abuse. Being in possession of Adderall does not necessarily become a crime. It becomes an issue when the person who is in possession of the drug does not have a legal or valid prescription. Another example of how uh, possession of Adderall can be a crime would be if a person with a prescription possesses an excess amount. This No, because they think that you're selling them. In California, there is an even more specific prescription drug crime of simultaneously possessing Adderall and a firearm. To clarify, criminal possession of Adderall, according to this website, combined with knowingly possessing a firearm that is loaded, is a more aggravated crime than it is punishable that is punishable by a felony. Along with that specific. A crime, the possession of Adderall without a valid prescription can also be a crime, right? Uh... So it's uh, mitigating, right? Uh, So what does this mean? This means that the prosecutor, you possessed Adderall, possession was unlawful, You knew that Adderall was present, and you knew the substance was a controlled substance. The amount of Adderall was a usable amount. You possessed a firearm, and the firearm was both operable and unloaded. Thus, if the prosecution cannot prove any of the above listed items of the criminal act, you may not be convicted of a crime of possession of Adderall while armed with a firearm. However, it is important to note that illegal possession of Adderall by itself is a crime, Carries a lesser criminal penalty. Therefore, if the prosecution is able to prove that you possess Adderall, Adderall, but the firearm you carry carry was inoperable or unloaded, you may be charged with the lesser. So, what does it have? Uh, You know, well, you're possessing. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know how to read this. Right. Uh, Here we have one from Nevada sounds like uh it's on here uh so if you're an addict in some of the states you got to check your uh state law on on this stuff right why do i bring up firearms with it is i've often heard that uh certain medication you're on certain medications you can't be on this uh, here we have Ozempic, the perpetual story we talk about here, causing weird dreams, really. So I know that in uh, Ozempic uh, and Wegovy and similar similar uh, 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 drugs can cause. Uh, no that's a new weight loss drug, and it's also used for diabetes. They people have strong, strange dreams, vivid dreams, not lucid dreams, vivid dreams. Lucid dreams mean you're in control of it. Here we have uh, New York, ranked wealthiest city on the planet with thirty four three 340,000 uh, millionaires. That's New York City. It has the uh, uh, highest concentration of uh, millionaires. So there is a list here where is the list okay here you go the top 10 wealthiest cities and a millionaire population new york at 340,000, 340,000 millionaires that's new york city they're all moving to florida right tokyo at 200 pardon me 200 i'm San Francisco Bay Area, which is a big area, 285,000. London at 258,000. Singapore, 240,000. Los Angeles, number six, 205,400. Hong Kong, 129,500. Beijing, 128,200. Number nine is Shanghai, 127,200. And number 10, Sydney, Australia at 126,900. Wow. Auschwitz visitor faces backlash for posing for Taysa's photo on the train tracks. I mean, that's probably one of the most famous photos out of there. Again, I don't think, uh, you know, no class. I don't know what to tell you with this. Uh, A woman wearing a red flannel shirt Black top and black pants and smile as she gazes skyward while visitors walk toward the Auschwitz-Mirchenwald State Museum. Unbelievable. Male contraception could be edging closer thanks to new genetic discovery. A gene that's only expressed in the testicles of various mammals, including humans, could be the key to an effective, reversible, non-hormonal form of contraception for men. A new study details how manipulating the ARRDC5 gene in mice led to infertility in males. Scientists say that a drug targeting this gene could be sorely needed uh, a sorely needed solution to the massive disparity between male and female contraceptives. So, uh, again, uh, uh, no, uh, I don't know. We'll see. Would you be, uh, if you're a fertile male, would you take the male contraception with that? I don't know what the ethics are with it, with uh, religious beliefs or anything like that. I have no idea. Probably uh, question, a good question. So that's safety words Wars for Tuesday, April 18th and uh, 2023. I look forward to seeing you tomorrow night. Good night, everybody.